The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians 14:26-40. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself, and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now that you're seated, uh, let me also add a word to what Gareth has already so helpfully said and just put an emphasis behind the prayer and fasting week that's coming up. Um, This is just such an awesome opportunity for us as a church that I think we'll miss if we don't really stop and think about it and prayerfully enter into it together uh, beginning tomorrow. Um, So I want to encourage you to to be thinking about it, praying about it. Uh, Take a look on the website, see the resources that we posted there to help us uh, it's ChristCityChurch.ca, um, and there's some media under that, and there's a couple of articles and some information about our prayer and fasting uh, that will help you get rolling, uh, because this could be a really fruitful time for us as a church, as we together come together to seek the Lord, uh, to grow in Him, uh, so that 2023 will be another year where we see His favor and His goodness and rich and deep ways in our lives. Um, again, just to uh, remind you, it's at 7 o'clock that we are meeting at Grace Vancouver Church, which is just up the street on Wednesday. So that will be for our prayer and our worship time together uh, at the midpoint of our prayer and fasting week. Uh, so do keep those things in mind. Um, and as we jump in, again, my name's Brant. I'm just grateful that you're all here, that we can worship together. And I'm going to ask that you would pray with me so we can seek the Lord's help together as we unpack this, um, this fun text. Uh, Father, we, we come and we just ask, God, would you help us to see wonderful things in your word? God, we long for you to be glorified more and more in the way that we relate to one another here at Christ City Church. And yet, God, we know that there are ways that, that our selfishness brings disorder and chaos rather than peace 
and the building up of all. So would you work by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, to do a couple of things this morning. First, uh, to keep us from being so distracted by uh, this section about women in the middle that we don't hear anything else. And also, Lord, to help us to really truly be changed in our own hearts, to live selfless lives of love. Each of us eager to submit to the order that you've put in place so we might see others built up in love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage hardly needs any introduction at all to engage your intention, does it? (laughs) Just like, boom, there it is. Okay, here's the passage. And to be honest, uh, you guys might all know, some of you might not know, this is actually our first Sunday gathered back here at the theater as Christ City Church in Kitsilano. So it also doesn't really scream, hey, excellent first sermon of the year. You know, it's not the passage that maybe uh, we would have chosen. This is why we are an expositional, exegetical church. We go verse by verse of the Bible and we preach uh, the passages that are before us because they're instructive for us. Because this passage, like the rest of them, is the word of God. And it's good for us. And there's things for us to learn from it that are instructive for us, even in 2023 and for this new year. Now, that said, because I know that it's all that you'll be thinking about unless I say something right now. Let me jump ahead and say, I don't think this passage means that you ladies here in the church can't talk in the church. That's not what it means. Um, but I won't unpack it yet because I want to you know, keep you engaged until we get there. Right? right? So you're going to be on the edge of your seats to find out what it really does mean until we get to that, to that point. Uh, but, but don't worry, we're not going to put some you know, new order in place according to scripture that now, from now on, the ladies can't speak when they're at Christ City. That's, that's not what we think. That's not what I think Paul's even saying. And ultimately, actually, the, the controversial verses in this passage are just part of a larger section where Paul's instructing the church of Jesus why they gather and how they gather. And that matters a lot for us this morning. It's a new year and maybe we haven't thought about why we gather yet. And we haven't thought about how we gather yet. And we all have different thoughts as we come here this morning about what we'd like this church to be like. What we'd like to get out of going to church on a Sunday morning or gathering with the church on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Monday or whatever it might be, evening with our community groups or prayer times. Now, ours is a consumeristic age, and we tend to think of everything, even church, in terms of how we can get something out of it. But how it benefits not others, but how it benefits me. But if this year, if 2023 is shaped by us looking out only for what benefits ourselves here at this church, then we won't glorify our Father at all. This passage is so instructive for us because Paul is teaching us in place of our selfish intentions to do something different, to gather differently than the selfish orientation that naturally shapes our lives. And Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40. He tells us what our gatherings are for and how we ought to gather so we will be a glorious church shining the light of God's salvation outward for all to see. Now, there's a lot in this passage. I'm just going to go right out out front and let you know I'm not going to be able to cover the last couple of verses in the passage. We're going to try and get the main bits 
uh, and, and hit the main points that Paul's talking about. Um, but we're going to start at the beginning and, and start working our way through that way. And I think the last points will make sense all on their own. So two points. What our gatherings are for, how we ought to gather for the purpose of us being in this church that brings glory to God here in Vancouver. We'll look at our first point, what our gatherings are for in verse 26. Second, uh, 26. I can't speak. Verse 26. Paul writes this. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Paul's gathering together all that he's been talking about in the section on spiritual gifts that he's been teaching from chapter 12 now until the end of chapter 14. And then he says, okay, in summary, when you come together, that means when you gather as a church, when you gather as a church, there are ways to do things that are appropriate and good and lead to the building up of all. And the reality is that there's actually many different right ways to gather as a church, not every church looks the same. You may have noticed that. And every church has the same order of service that we do, even though I kind of like our order of service. Right? We, we do things differently. And in Corinth, when they gathered, they were much less organized than we are today. And each one, Paul says, brought something to share and to encourage the others with. Whether that was a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. But Paul says, there's a purpose to all of that. Do you see that? Because there's a purpose to what you bring and how you're gifted and how you're to use those things in the gathering of God's people. He says, we gather to use the gifts that God has given to build up precious human persons. To build them up in Jesus Christ. That's why we gather. Paul writes, let all things be done for building up. Since we gather to use our gifts that God has given us by the power of the Holy Spirit, praise him, to build others up, not to selfishly get what we want. And Paul's been beating this drum for a long time. We've been in 1 Corinthians for a long time. And let me refresh you. He's been talking about this a lot to the Corinthians because they were so greedy and self-serving. In chapter 8, we saw the way that Paul was rebuking the Corinthians because they tended to think only of themselves when it came to the food that they ate. Right? There's a section here about food sacrificed to idols. And Paul's concerned, like, look, you don't care about anybody else. You just think about your freedom to eat whatever food you want, but you don't consider that what you're eating might actually be offending the people in the church that actually have a lot of scruples about what you're eating. Because you're being so selfish. Why would you do that in your gatherings? And then in chapter 11, Paul confronts the Corinthians about the selfish way they observe the Lord's Supper because they didn't do what we do today, which is where we, we come and we have uh, the, the bread and the, the cup given to us. We partake together as a church. Uh, they actually had a whole meal together, but they were selfish about it such that those that had means, uh, they had tons of food. And they had a party. Some of them even got drunk. And then the poor people here who didn't have means, they went without. And they were hungry. Paul says, you selfish, greedy people. <laughs> what are you thinking? You're thinking only about yourselves. 
And in chapters 12 to 14, where we've been right now, we've been unpacking this section. There's enormous chaos in the gathered church because people were gifted by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But they didn't use those gifts for the purpose of building others up. They used those gifts to serve themselves. And no one was built up as a result. But just disorder and division came from their actions. And all throughout this letter, Paul's repeatedly, from the very beginning, been pointing back to one thing that was to shape the gathering differently than it was going for the Corinthians. You know what that was? It was the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. He keeps pointing back again and again to this humble, crucified, self-giving Savior. Keeps pointing to the love of Christ that shows us what true love is. Because Jesus Christ himself gave up everything, even dying on the cross for our sins to save us. But the Corinthians didn't look like Jesus. They looked like Corinth, not Christians. And they thought only of themselves, not selflessly of others in love for them. And Paul writes in verse 26, okay, so what's the point? Why are we gathering? What's this whole thing for? Let all things be done for building up. Do you hear that, Christ City? Is, is that your goal when you gather here on a Sunday morning? When you gather in small groups, when you come here on Sunday morning, when you're driving in the car and getting ready to show up, are, are you thinking, God, would you help me to use the gifts that you've given me to bless someone else in the congregation today? God, are, are you helping? God, can you help me to not just think about myself, but to worship and praise you and to, to know so much of the love of Christ that all I would want to do is just love people like you've loved me. Because that's what God puts you here for. It's why God gifted you. So you could be an instrument that he uses to bless and to build up others in the church. See, when we gather to imitate the love of Jesus that we've received, we will look for opportunities to build one another up and that will create unity and peace in the church. That's why we gather. We gather to build others up as we imitate the love of Jesus for us. If, you're everyone ever, if anyone ever asks you why you go to church, it's that. <laughs> to imitate the love of Jesus Christ that you've received by loving others, building them up. Because that will result in glory to God. People will see a new community here uh, at work. But we're going to consider our, our second point now because Paul shows them that they actually can't do this. You can't gather with that selfless orientation. You can't do that unless you submit to God's desire for order in his church. See, love requires order. Love requires order to result in the building up of God's people. So we're going to consider our second point now, how we ought to gather. And as you think about this, I think it's true that the thing that we value most in our culture is not order, isn't selflessness, but it's actually freedom to pursue what we desire. That's what we value most in our culture. We want freedom to do as we please. Follow your heart, as you know, is a sacred P 
piece of wisdom in our culture. But it's not biblical wisdom. And if someone says, hey, you know what you should do? You should limit your self-expression and practice self-control. We sometimes feel like that person is being controlling. Maybe they're even being oppressive because they're asking us not to express ourselves fully as we might. And yet, think for a second what would happen if all of us actually lived selfishly, fully expressing our heart's desires all the time. This is what would happen. It would be chaos. It would be problems. Your freedoms and your desires would bump into mine, right? I have some stomach allergies, some dietary needs. I, I don't eat wheat products and I don't eat, eat dairy. And, and if you are trying to freely live into following your own heart and always cooking with gluten and dairy and you invite me for dinner, there's going to be some problems, right? Because your freedoms and, and to cook as you want and the reality of my diet are going to come into conflict and I'm going to have to leave your party a little bit early, Right? There's going to be an emergency of some kind. This is why most of you guys are afraid to have me over for dinner in the first place. It's just too complicated to, to, to think this through. <laughs> you see, if I do what I want all the time and so do you, eventually our selfish desires come into conflict with one another and we hurt one another. It results in chaos and disorder. But that's how the Corinthians were living. They didn't care about order. They didn't care about others. They just wanted to do what they wanted. And Paul's like, look, it doesn't work. If you're going to love each other and be useful for building up the church, then self-control and order and submission are necessary. Self-control and order and submission are necessary for us to actually love one another and build one another up. Look at how Paul walks through this idea with three different groups of people, starting with verses 27 to 28. First, he talks to the tongue speakers. He says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Note, by the way, that he tells the tongue speakers to be silent. He also tells the prophets to be silent. Think about that as we move on. So the problem was that the church in Corinth had, had this very chaotic gathering, right? And all the tongue speakers are getting together and they're like, man, what I really want out of this gathering is this wonderful worship experience with God. So I'm just going to find some real estate in the gathering space. I'm just going to start shouting out in tongues. And, and they're doing that. And the person next to them is doing that. And the person next to them is doing that. And they're not thinking about what's useful for building up others. They're thinking about their own experience of worship with God. And it led to this chaos, disordered gathering. And Paul says, look, don't do it that way. <laughs> At most, let there be two or three and each in turn. And then let someone interpret. There's someone who has a gift of interpretation who could then hear that, that word and that tongue and then provide something edifying that everybody can understand and the whole church can be built up. But if there's no interpreter, then just be silent. That's okay. You can use that gift privately. That's a good and wonderful, glorious gift in that context. See, order, self-control, and submission are necessary for this loving, building up of others to actually happen. They would have to practice self-control by not speaking. Right? There's lots of tongue speakers in Corinth. Paul says two or three of them can speak. That means a lot of them are saying, I'm submitting to good order. And I'm not going to speak because that will lead to the church being built up and blessed. 
Next, Paul turns to the prophets. Look at verses 29 to 33. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So there's a lot of prophets in the church in Corinth. And don't forget, the women are also gifted with prophecy. Right? Paul's talked about that in 1 Corinthians 11. By the way, every spiritual gift is for, women, is for men and for women. Right? We're, we're all equally gifted in Christ Jesus. That's the teaching of scripture that Paul himself taught. But as these prophets all came together, it was chaos in their gathering because they wouldn't submit to good order out of love for one another. I'm wondering this morning, have you ever been around someone who just wouldn't stop talking and it felt like that person, they must think that they have, like they're the only person that has something good to say in this whole room, right? And they just won't shut up. You're like, man, I can't get a word in edgewise. It's like, it's like all you think about is the awesome stuff you have to say and you don't think about anybody else. Look, pastors have that problem, right? Like I'm guilty of that. <laughs> you can stop me. You can, you can stop me from talking. I invite that. But also these prophets had that problem. And as they're in this gathering space, they all want to share. They're all gifted. They all have a word from the Holy Spirit that's on their hearts. They're like, I got to get it out. <laughs> and Paul's like, have some self-control. Submit to good order in the congregation, in the gathering space, so that everybody can be built up and edified. Paul says, prophesy one by one. <laughs> And if someone else receives a revelation, then you who are speaking, just be humble. Sit down. Recognize that God can speak by his spirit through other people besides you. <laughs> You're not the most important person in the room. That's okay. The body's made up of many different parts. Let the other parts do their part. Have order for the good of others. And then Paul does something interesting. He's talking about this order in love, but he grounds all of the reasons for it in the character of God himself. Do you see that in verse 33? Why should we have order? Because of verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God himself has a certain character. He's not a God of confusion, but of peace. I actually think that word confusion is better translated uh, anarchy. And there's, there's really good reason for this. Um, but that, that word really is communicating this. God is not a God of anarchy, but of peace. God is not a God of anarchy, but of peace. See, anarchy happens when we strive in our own little independent worlds to just get what we want. And if I'm doing that, and you're doing that, and you're doing that, and you're doing that, and you're doing that, it just results in disorder and anarchy, doesn't it? There's nothing keeping us together. There's no order that's leading to the good of all. It's just selfishness and disorder and anarchy. And Paul's like, God's not like that. The good God that you worship and you serve is not a God of anarchy, but he's a God of peace. And the only way for us to live in peace that leads to the good of others is if we all submit to the glorious goodness of this one God who is a God of order. And a God of peace. 
And as each part of his creation comes under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, under the order of God, then order will be restored and peace will be restored into this world. I'm not sure if you've thought about that, but that's really a description of what's wrong with this world from another lens. What's wrong with this world is that everything is out of sync with the reign and the rule of God Most High. And in Christ Jesus, what God is doing is he's bringing that whole world back again under his rule. Putting it right in the right order, in the right place under Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, that applies to you here when you gather in the church even. Because order is necessary in love to build others up. You know what's amazing? God proves that submission and order are good in the gospel. Because in the gospel, God himself was willing to submit to order in love to build others up. Have you thought about that? In the gospel, God the Son, Jesus Christ, he chose to submit to God the Father. In the gospel, Jesus Christ chose to become human and to become subject to rules, rules of nature that he created. In the gospel, Jesus Christ chose to become subject to rulers and authorities that as God, he would one day judge. So Jesus Christ, he didn't walk around thinking only of himself, using his power and his infinite deity to do whatever he pleased. No, he was humble. Think about the self-control that Jesus had to live the life that he had. Think about the submission that he had to embrace to become a servant of others for their good. And not just a servant in general, but the servant of all, the lowest of the low, one who is willing to die on the cross to accomplish our salvation, to pay the debt of our sin that we owe to a good and loving and a just and holy God. To cleanse us from our sin and the guilt and the shame that comes along with it. To wash us clean by the power of his blood. Jesus shows us that God is not a God of anarchy, but of peace. Jesus shows us that God himself is willing to submit to order in love to build others up. He's the reason behind all of Paul's instruction here. And here's the bottom line for the Corinthians. You can imagine Paul in a room having a heart-to-heart -heart with a tongue speaker. Just sitting him down. Look, if Jesus is willing to submit to order, to die for your sins, do you think that maybe, just once in a while, you can practice self-control and not speak in tongues for the good of others. And over here, he sits down the prophets. He's like, look, guys, I know you got a lot of things to say. I mean, I hear you. I'm Paul. I write long letters. But do you think that just once in a while in the gathering, we can have order and structure, knowing that Jesus himself submitted to order and died for you, that you'd be forgiven? Can you have self-control in the same vein? I think you can. And that leads us to the last group that Paul speaks to about order. 
if Jesus became submissive and a servant to die to save us, then maybe even the wise in the Corinthian congregation could choose to remain silent if it led to order that builds others up. Look at verses 33 to 35 and the passage that you've been waiting on the edge of your seats for this whole time. Paul says, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Now, let me just stop there because I want to make this really clear before we jump into it a little bit later. I think that little phrase, as the law also says, by the way, is talking about the biblical ordering of male and female relationships as husband and wife, right? There's all kinds of places in scripture, including Ephesians 5, but also in Genesis that would talk about how, how God's made male and female. And I think that that phrase, as the law also says, applies not to, for they are not permitted to speak, but to that line about submission. He's just talking about the biblical order of, of men and women in marriage, as women submitting to their husbands and husbands leading their wives. And we're going to unpack that a bit more. But I think it's hard for us to see that. It's a good exegesis in Greek, uh, but we tend to want to read it and apply it to the whole thing. And I don't think that's the case for a bunch of different reasons. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Paul goes on, If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Another thing, notice how that says husbands. The word for woman and the word for wife in Greek are the same word. And so what happens when we translate into English is that translators have to decide whether they're going to translate that word as woman or as wife based on the context. And I think in this context, it makes most sense because he explicitly talks about husbands just in the next verse. He's talking about wives, not women in general. And there's a cultural piece there too which I think is important because in that day, in the gathering space in Corinth, their culture was such that you probably didn't have very many marriageable age women who weren't married. Everybody was married if you were of marriageable age because that's the only way that you had any status or protection as a woman in that ancient society, right? So Paul's talking about wives. If there is anything they desire to learn that the master husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So I think what was happening in Corinth was this. And this was a church where wives were rejoicing in their newfound freedom in Christ. The gospel has a lot to say about the equality of men and women, and Paul is a proponent of those things. And here they are prophesying and they're praying in tongues, but they're doing so and they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves and there's no order in the church. And in this ancient context that was much like the Jewish synagogue where Paul preached in Corinth, the women and the men were segregated, right? So the church didn't come out of a vacuum, didn't come out of a vacuum. This church in Corinth was started because Paul showed up in Corinth one day and started preaching at the synagogue where the Jews were, right? So there's a bit of Jewish DNA in this church in Corinth. And in that Jewish context, the men and women were segregated. They sat here, you know, the men sat here, and that's how it was. And perhaps because these women were also probably all uneducated. In ancient society, men were vastly more educated than women. They kept shouting from the place where they were segregated, Honey, what's he talking about? There's some prophecies happening over here. I don't understand. Right? They're saying, I, I don't, can you, just, can you just tell me what's going on? Or maybe, maybe this is a time when the interpretation of prophecy was happening and the wives are disagreeing because they also had the gift of interpretation. 
And they're disagreeing with their husband, saying, honey, I don't think that's what he's actually meaning or what he says. Right? And whatever they're doing, they're speaking up against one another in a disorderly way. In a disorderly way that was even shameful in their culture. And Paul instructs them to be silent. Again, the same word that he used for tongue speakers and for prophets in the previous verses when they're to be silent, when they're to submit to good order. So, putting these pieces together, when Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let the master husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. I think what Paul's saying is this. I think all he's doing is telling wives in the church not to speak in a disruptive way that brings disorder and cultural shame to their gathering. Instead, they should submit to the appropriate and biblical order of husband and wife for the good of others. I think that's what Paul's saying. I'm going to go on and give you some more reasons why I think this. First, I think Paul says this because silence can't really mean silence, can it? In the context, what did he just talk to women about in chapter 11? Praying and prophesying in the gathering. That's not silence, right? That's, that's using your gifts given by the Holy Spirit to speak out words of encouragement to the congregation, right? So it doesn't really make sense for Paul to say, be silent here when he said, pray and prophesy over there. So it can't mean silent in the way that we sometimes hear it to say silence in this oppressive way. Second, I don't think Paul can mean silent in the oppressive ways we hear because though it might surprise you, Paul was actually against his culture's view of women. He was a radical of his day. We're bad at history today and we've forgotten the ways that actually the gospel itself has greatly transformed our society. And in fact, the gospel was the thing that was at work in first century society, bringing rights and freedoms and liberty and equality to those that didn't have any of those things. It was the gospel that did that. That did that. Just think about what Paul thought uh, in contrast to the culture they were in. Jewish women, as we've seen, were expected to be truly silent in the synagogue. There's actually a, a document around this time from the Megillah, and it says this, the woman does not read out of the Torah for the sake of the honor of the congregation. In Jewish law at the time, you couldn't even read the Bible in the synagogue. But Paul says women can pray and prophesy and participate in the church right along with the men. That's what he taught. So he's, he's in this new realm of gospel freedom. It was a radical teaching in his day. In Roman and Greek culture, on the other hand, women did not have the same rights as men. They weren't educated like men like we've seen, and they certainly did not, uh, were not considered to be equal with men at all. Right? In some senses, they even had to, in some contexts, they even had to, to walk behind their husband in the marketplace, you know, as a, as a sign of deference to him. It's a very different society than ours. And into that context, Paul writes in Galatians 3.28 that in the gospel, men and women are one in Christ, completely equal. See, Paul is this countercultural radical, <laughs> bringing the gospel in, bringing what is right and restoring things as it should be under Jesus Christ. So I think then what that when Paul says this, when Paul says, for they are not permitted to speak, I think he's just acknowledging the realities of the culture that they were in. See, the gospel, Paul knows, is a radical culture-forming force. 
And Paul was very careful not to put unnecessary obstacles in the way of the forward movement of that gospel that saved sinners, that he knew would continue to go through society and shape it and form it under the character of Christ. Look at chapter 10, verses 31 to 33, in the way that Paul talks about his sensitivity to the forward movement of the gospel. There, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Then he says this interesting phrase, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Three different groups of people, right? Jews who aren't Christians, Greeks who aren't Christians, or to the church. Don't live your life in offensive ways unnecessarily. And Paul gives a reason. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, what works out for me and for my comfort, but instead seeking the advantage of many that they might be saved. See, Paul's biggest concern as he taught, as he preached, as he educated people in the gospel was for people to be saved and to come to know Jesus Christ. And for that goal, he was willing to suffer the loss of everything to see people come to know Jesus. And he wanted everyone, wise included then, to be willing to give up various rights that they might have had in the gospel to see more people become Christians. Stop and think about it for a second in our context. Even in our gatherings, it would be pretty embarrassing if Heather started yelling at me when I was preaching. Right? It, it, would, it would be kind of weird. Right? Or if the, the wives and the husbands you hear how that going on in our gathering. It, it would be weird. It would be uncomfortable and embarrassing. I'm not sure it would be shameful. Not in the way that Paul's talking about here. Because our cultures are different. Our culture has had the advantage of being formed in the gospel for a very long time. And much of what's happened between men and women, even in recent years, is very much because of Christianity. The early feminist movement, the first wave feminist movement, was a very Christian movement and a good one in that it was about equality between men and women in our society. And the gospel's been making some advances. But Paul here is cautious about putting obstacles in the way of the forward progress of the gospel. He says, we need to submit to good order to see that people are saved, to prevent this church from becoming a stumbling block in our society. Now, and that's true. But even though I've said all that, I don't think that means Paul has nothing to say to husbands and wives in this passage. Look at 1434. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. And when we read that, as the law also says, we realize Paul's talking about the Bible here, not about culture. Paul's referring, I think, to a portion of the Bible that we all need to hold to whatever our culture might be, whether it's popular or whether it's not in our culture. And specifically, as I've already said, I think Paul's talking about the Bible's instructions to wives and husbands, the wives to submit to their husbands, and husbands to lead their wives. So what does biblical order between husband and wife actually look like? We're just going to stop and look at this for a moment, and then we'll conclude our message. Well, Paul tells us what this looks like in Ephesians 5. Because in Ephesians 5.22, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And in 5.25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
And I know this sounds scary, especially because the word submit is so loaded in our culture. But remember that this is biblical submission and biblical leadership. It's not oppression and dominance as we come to understand it in our sinful and fallen world. And in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, Jesus is the example for wives in their submission role. Because Jesus submitted himself to the Father to die for the good of others, and wives are to do the same for their husbands. And in Ephesians 5.25, Jesus is the example for a husband's leadership. Because Jesus used his leadership to sacrifice himself for the good of his bride, the church. And husbands must lead and use whatever authority they have in the same way for their wives. Right? So husbands, let me talk to you just for a brief second. Some of you might have heard passages like this one in your life just being used as an excuse to say, hey, I'm in control, I'm in charge. That is not what this passage is for. And that's not what the biblical teaching about husband's leadership is about. Because whenever it's talked about for husbands in the Bible, in this way, it's talking about husbands literally being willing to sacrifice what they want to die to themselves for the good of their wife. To bless her. To seek to have her flourish and grow as a Christian and as a woman. See, Paul is talking about something very specific and very gospel-oriented in these passages and very good for us as a congregation. See, Paul was concerned about some cultural stuff. He's also concerned about right order between men and women as husband and wife. And even in Vancouver in 2023, good order between husband and wife as we grow into it as a church will be a good thing for us. And will cause us to glorify Jesus Christ more in this city. People will see flourishing marriages and flourishing life as we walk in obedience to Jesus. So here's a big picture. Our gatherings are a time when we worship together and we hear from God's word when we are blessed by different members exercising their gifts. But for this gathering to accomplish its purpose of building each member of the body of Christ up, we must, we must be willing to submit to good order. We must be willing to submit to good order in love rather than do whatever we please. Christ City, all of us need to be shaped at the end of the day, by what we see in Jesus' own life. If you take nothing else away from this sermon, take away this. We need to be shaped by what we see in Jesus. What we see in Jesus is a deep love for God, a deep obedience to him, a deep love for others, and a willingness to use the gifts and the position that he was given Submissive to right order to lay his life down and serve others. We have to do the same here. We've got to love God, obey him, love others, and be willing to submit to the good order that God has given to each one of us in our appropriate place. And when we come to this gathering, if we come like Jesus, ready to step out in love, submission, and ordered service for the good of others, we will glorify God here. This church will become a beacon, the city on the hill that shines a light on the goodness of who God is. You will be built up in your Christian life. You will grow spiritually. 
You will build others up. You'll be an instrument that God uses to help them to grow spiritually. But if we come to this gathering space thinking only of ourselves, we won't look like Jesus. We won't grow. We won't help others grow. And we won't glorify God. Would you pray with me? God, your word is good, even when it's hard to understand. (laughs) Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would cause what is true from what I said to land in our hearts, to shape us, to form us, to become more like Jesus. God, the the other parts that aren't true, help us all to forget them. (laughs) God, we ask that you would cause us to grow right now and even to the rest of our gathering to to become imitators of Christ who love order for the sake of love so that others will be built up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.